0: Hi everyone. Welcome back to the Quantum Heart Cafe. I hope everyone is having a a heartfelt week and, and enjoying the the weather and the the singing birds and you know all that wonderful stuff and uh you know thanks for stopping by the cafe where I spend time uh reviewing and talking about books I'm reading and relating the material in the books to sort of current events and when I'm witnessing. Uh, unfolding on planet earth <laughs> with some of the, you know, oddball stuff as well. As some of the, you know, concerning, but also some of the positive stuff as well. Cause you know, I, I do hope that there's a bit of both and, um, my interests in books range ranges from like spirituality to politics, um, uh, not both, both fiction, fiction and nonfiction, um, and stories, just because I find it easy for myself to kind of relate the, what's going on in a story or, um, a uh, or a book on a certain topic and take that and relate it to sort of everyday life and, and current events. So that's kind of what this show is about. And as well as, you know, talking about coffee and today I'm enjoying, um, Another decaf. It's the last batch of the decaf coffee that I tried from a local coffee shop. It's quite nice. The they did a nice job. It's it's had the beans were fresh freshly roasted there because they have their own uh, setup where they can roast their own coffee. So, you know, I might try another one from another independent coffee shop or go back to there. I don't know yet. Uh, we'll see if I get a chance to look around. Um, for more independent coffee shops this week, uh, for the, for next for next week's shows, because I'll start a new, try a new type of coffee for next week. Cause I'm almost done this one, um, and then of course I I like this show to, you know, talk about uh, gratitude. You know, maybe eventually include some meditations and poetry and prayer, um, cause yeah, it is a spiritual show, but it's also uh, about current events and just enjoying enjoying life, um, you know, because no matter what happens in the external world, I think that it's important to try and find joy and happiness and remember what it means to be a human being, the being and human being, like what the late John Trudell talked about. And for today, I'm grat- I am grateful that the sun is out and the weather's really been really nice and because for the last little while, you know, it gets pretty gray where I'm at, uh, for most of the year. So it's nice when the sun comes out and it's just that period of the year before the summer gets really hot and, you know, it's not as fun going out during the day cause it's super hot. So it's kind of like that nice period of time, like in the season where you have, um, nice. It's kind of like the Goldilocks weather, at least for me. I mean, everyone's different, but it's kind of like the perfect, it's like that nice sunny day with a nice breeze. So we've, I've been fortunate to have, uh, some of that weather. It's also a really great, great time to go out and start doing, um, you know, photography, which is another hobby I have and just being out and listening to the birds sing and stuff like that. So I'm grateful for that. And speaking of spring, especially March, um, we're kind of going on to the concluding the part on venus i've been talking about uh for the last few shows uh, a book called Worlds in Collision by Emanuel Velikovsky and in this uh set, or in this show i'm going to be concluding the section on venus that he wrote the next section is going to be on mars and i'm hoping that I can conclude the book by next week or at the very latest, like the following early, the following week. Um, and then, uh, I'll probably have to think which book is next. Cause I, there's a few on the list I want to read. Um, but yeah, so he, <clears throat> so I'm finishing off today last week or last show I did, um, you know, I did loot. I did kind of, or the section that did allude to Venus. Um, and how Venus used to be a comet, and the whole basis of the book Worlds in Collision is that Emmanuel Velikovsky did a lot of um, research and um, kind of inquiry into history to see if the if major um, biblical or legends or myths uh, have a base, kind of have a grain of truth to them. And whether there was some stuff going on, in the in space in the celestial sphere where, uh, the planets were influencing Earth, which influ- which would then create these met these you know world-ending catastrophes, and it looks like and they, and um you know so far his conclusions have been right, and he did get a lot of flack for the book, for writing this book from both the scientific and very, you know, the really fundamentalist, uh, religion or religious community, they didn't like it either. Uh, but turns out, you know, he wrote it in the fifties and, you know, 50 plus years later, it turns out a lot of his theories and ideas have, uh, actually turned out to be true. Uh so tonight I'm going to just focus on finishing off the section in, on Venus. Uh and then the next show I'm going to start talking about Mars and how Mars and Venus came into collision with each other uh back in the in the past. I think it was after the events of the Exodus, but it was around like the the legend of the or not legend but the the Trojan War. And also around the time of Isaiah and his prophecies and how that is tied in with the events uh, or with Venus and Mars coming into collision with each other. So I'm going to be talking about that for the next uh, couple of shows after this one. Um, So in the book, on the second or the latter half of of Venus, uh, Emmanuel Velikovsky talks about how... um, you know, he titles the section of the chapter 52 year period, and um, he was even in like the Mexican, uh, ancient Mexican texts. Um, there uh, they say that there that a 52 year period lay between world catastrophes, and that there were two world events separated by 52 years, which ended those ages. And uh, indigenous people of pre Columbian uh, Mexico. Uh, they would expect a catastrophe every 52 years uh, and they would hold a ceremony and then wait to see if there was a catastrophe or if they had another a year, not a year, but uh, a 52 year period of grace. So they would, they would end up watching for the planet Venus, although at that time it was a comet and, uh, when there was no catastrophe, so which means that, you know, when the comet Venus didn't come into close contact with the Earth, uh, they would hold a ceremony on and a bonfire to rejoice that they received that grace period of 52 years. Um, and it was both the Mayas and the Aztecs that observed this uh, Venus cycle because the 52-year period uh, does relate to uh, Venus when it was a comet back in that, uh, back in those da- times. And then they would also made a sacrifice to the morning star. And the morning star is just another name for Venus. Same thing with the evening star. They, they both relate to, they both mean or refer to the planet Venus. Um, and then even as Emmanuel wrote that, he did wonder what Venus had to do with the world catastrophes. And uh, and then he also took a look at the Jubilee, which is what, um, I don't know if they still practice this or not, uh, but the Israelites back in that time, they would practice uh, what's called a Jubilee. So every, again, every 50 years, they would uh, hold a Jubilee where they would uh, return land uh, back to its original proprietors if it didn't belong to them. Uh, they would free slaves and, um, they would leave the farmland left to follow. I don't know what that follow means. Maybe it it just means to, um, it sounds like the land was left to repair itself or left alone for a little while so it could rejuvenate. Um, and then horns would be blown on the Jubilee to mark the day, mark it as a day of atonement. Um. And then people have, and then Manuel Volokhalski wondered, um, or has, he said that people have wondered why the Jubilee is every 50 years. And uh, Manuel then wonders if there's a relationship between the cycle, between that cycle of 50 years and the world catastrophes that took place at the time of Exodus. Because 50 years after the time of Exodus, the uh, catastrophe that was talked about in the book of Joshua and and Jesser uh that took place and it also involved Venus coming too close to earth and causing a um a disturbance which created caused earthquakes and uh and it caused the sun to stand still although from what I understand the events in the book of Joshua weren't nearly as catastrophic as the events in the book of or during the event or the, the exodus like that. The exodus was, I think at least just for my reading, it sounded like it was much worse. Um, so both the Mayans, the Aztecs and the Israelites observed a 50 to 52 year period where they would, um, you know, have ceremonies and, and atonements in order to appease uh, the planet Venus And they would also have sacrifices to uh, the morning star, which I thought was interesting. Um, And then he carries on in that section to talk about the birth of Venus. Um, So I remember in like the first, I think it was the second part where I thought that, you know, maybe I was wrong that Venus and the comet Typhoon were one and the same. Um, But it turns out I was right to think that the comet that. Caused the events of the Exodus was Venus, but at the time it was called uh, Typhoon. Um, And so he was, Emmanuel was saying that Venus started transforming from being a comet to a planet during the events, um, you know, throughout the events of both the Exodus and the Book of Joshua. And then I would also include. The time when it came into contact with Mars, because I think that's also it's not in this section yet, but I've already started reading the section on Mars and it kind of alludes to Venus and Mars colliding. And then after that collision, Venus was then on its like current uh, orbit, which is more of a circular and stable orbit, like it's not coming into uh, close contact with the planets anymore. Um, so he just talks about the, he started talking in this, but in this section, he starts talking about how, um, you know, the, from the time of Exodus onwards, Venus slowly transformed from a comet to a planet, the planet that we know of now. Um, and then he also, what's really interesting. he also talks about, um, the ancient Mexicans and how they have a story of a serpent in the sky, transforming itself into a great star. And forgive my pronunciation of the serpent. Um, I think it's, uh, Quetzal, uh, co hat I'm so sorry if I, <laughs> I think I missed, I made, if I messed that up. Um, and, and that's the name, that was the Mexican name for Venus. So they, there are other stories um that Emmanuel talks about where the serpent imagery is used for Venus where you know, when Venus was a comet at that at that time during the Exodus, other um cultures and other traditions around the world also kind of remarked how the comet looked like it was a serpent and then <clears throat> after a period of time that serpent ended up transforming into a brilliant star. And then, even the Chinese talk about how a brilliant, brilliant star appeared in the days of Emperor Yao. And Emperor Yao's reign also took part during the time of the Exodus. <clears throat> okay. And then he also talks about um, the, a four-planet system transforming into a five-planet system. So Emmanuel also assumed that during the third millennium, there were only four planets that could be readily seen, and that Venus ended up join, joining the, the four-planet system in the second millennium, and it becoming a five-planet system uh, moving forward. So both the Brahmins and the Babylonians uh, astronomers recognized the four planets uh, system during their time. And that would have been based on uh, Mercury, Mars, Jupiter and Saturn because they were the most easily seen planets at that time with the naked eye. Because I I don't think they had telescopes at that particular time. I mean, they might have other optical um, instruments, but that's what those are the four planets that could be seen without any sort of AIDS and then after the second millennium when Venus became a planet then they then that's when they changed to a five planet system and then what's interesting is that um, even the Pythagoreans of early Greece and the Pythagoreans they you know got a lot of their information and studies from ancient Kemet which is currently called Egypt because Pythagoras was a student of the mystery schools from Kemet and he was given permission to teach uh or to start his mystery school in Greece, and so that's where the Pythagorans came from. And he acknowledges or he knew that the comets or they knew the Pythagorans knew about comets, uh, and that one of the com and they knew how to distinguish between the comets so it wasn't one comet that uh represented all the comets if that makes sense they knew how to distinguish between each one and uh they've figured out that like after a period of time one of those comets would be uh Venus um so that that was kind of an interesting that they they knew that going. Going back all in all that, or going back to that time, they they knew how to do that type of astronomy. That's really cool. Uh, And then, just and then, Emmanuel also continues just to offer more uh, information about the comet Venus um, throughout this section. So, he talked about how. Uh, The Mexicans used to refer to the comet Venus as the star that smoked. And then the Vedas, the star, also referred to Venus as the star um, that looks like fire with smoke. (laughs) Uh, And then Emmanuel wonders what gives Venus its smoke and fire appearance because, uh, as the uh, Chaldeans said, it is the bright torch of the heavens. And I think he kind of alluded to it a little bit in... Um, when he talked about hydrocarbons or some of the hydrocarbons in earth found or found in earth, uh, how some of them came, actually came from the, um, came from space from a, a comet's tail. And he did talk about how during the time of Exodus, when, as Venus was a comet, as its tail passed over earth, uh, there was a. A bunch of hydrocarbons falling uh, from the sky because some of it got burnt up in the atmosphere, uh, but the hydrocarbon that couldn't be burnt up in the atmosphere fell to Earth and and it was absorbed into like the rocks and crevices. Uh, so there is a theory I haven't gotten to it just yet, but he does think that um, Venus's atmosphere is composed of hydrocarbons. And that if and if it is composed of hydrocarbons, that's probably what gives its gives Venus its Venus its brightness, or at least helps to contribute to it. That's my hypothesis. I have to keep uh reading through it, but I think he kind of alluded to it throughout the or at least it feels like he's kind of alluding to that throughout the first half of the book. Um and then what's also really interesting is that um some traditions also observed how Venus looks like it it might have hair, Um, and the word comet is derived from the Greek word for hair, which is "comma" or "coma." So when Venus did have a coma, which is at the time of it being a comet, um, it did look like two horns were coming out of the head of the the comma. And what's really interesting is that in astrology. Like, current Western astrology. I don't know about sidereal. Um, I only know a bit about Western astrology because I've been sort of studying it. And the glyph for Venus, or, or for Taurus, which is ruled by Venus, but the glyph for Taurus is a circle with two horns on top. And what's inter- interesting is that he then, Emmanuel then goes on to say how a lot of cultures throughout the world, like after the events of Exodus, of the Exodus, and the book of Jester, and the 50 years later, the stuff that happened in the book of Jester, um, how cultures revered both this, had a sacred bull, and then later on had a sacred cow. And so it's interesting how in astrology, the glyph for Taurus is that circle with the horns coming out and I don't know the history of the glyphs or where they came from, but I wonder after reading this, is if um, at least the symbol for Taurus, if that is how it came about, was through uh, people kind of watching the comma on Venus and seeing those horns, and then associating Taurus with the planet Venus. I'm not sure how or associating a sacred bull with the planet Venus and maybe that's how Taurus became associated with uh, Venus which is kind of cool. I'm not sure how Libra got associated with uh, Venus that would be interesting because they are one I mean Taurus is an earth sign and Venus is an air or sorry Libra is an air sign so I'm not sure how the two came under Venus but I can definitely see how Taurus is represented by or kind of where that history came came about with Taurus between Taurus and Venus. Um, I don't know. It'd be really. I think it'd be really cool to dive into the history of the uh, glyphs in the astronomy for each uh, astrological zodiac sign. That'd be pretty cool. And then he then uh, goes on to talk about um, Athena, the goddess Athena, and how she became associated with Venus because. Um, yeah, the goddess Venus and and Athena are one and the same. I thought that Venus was actually Aphrodite, but it turns out that back in the day, Aphrodite was more associated with the moon, and it was Athena that's associated with Venus. I, I don't know if it's changed now, uh, but back then, that's how the mythology related to the planet. Um, So Emmanuel was saying the best way to find mythical stories involving Venus uh, is to look at the gods and goddesses who didn't exist from the beginning but were birthed into existence. And so he talks about the story how Athena came out of Jupiter's head. Um, and then he wonders if that kind of alludes to how Venus or the comet Venus came into existence is when, you know, maybe Jupiter expelled a portion of its, um, matter into space. And that became the comet Venus. And there was earlier in the book, he did, um, provide a couple of theories into how the solar system, uh, came into existence. And one of the theories is that, um, either the sun or a larger, uh, celestial body could eject material that it didn't need and if the material had enough escape velocity it could actually go escape out into space and become like a a localized um comet there's a name for it I can't remember off the top of my head but you know a comet that orbits throughout our solar system there's other comets that come from other parts of the universe but um and they have a specific name for those too um, he's not sure where those come from, but he did, uh, share this, the theory about where the comets in this solar system came from, which could be from, uh, the sun or, ju- or a big enough celestial body like Jupiter. And it kind of, and the the legend and the myth kind of matches where, you know, Venus came out of Jupiter's head. So it, maybe there's some truth to that. Um, and then he was also just kind of giving um in this in this section on Venus or Athena he also does give some other names for Athena um one of them was uh Minerva and then Tritogina um named or Tritogena named after the lake Triton uh which was a lake in Africa that broke into the ocean, and that spot is now the Sahara desert um and then And then the birth of Athena is assigned to the second millennium, which is right around the when the events of the book of Exodus and book of Joshua took place. And it's also interesting because Athena is associated with ambrosia. And last uh, show, I did talk near the end about ambrosia and how it was this honey like substance that fell from the sky. And it was actually what nourished people during that day, during that period of darkness. And then one of uh, Athena's sacred animals is the sacred bull, and the sacred cow. So at first it was the sacred bull, but then with the um, you know, remember how I was talking about the land of milk and honey, back in the last show. Well, be because of the ambrosia and also the. The or the lakes kind of turning into a milky type substance from the, uh, from the rum, runoff of the ambrosia from the, because it fell on the grains and then, uh, eventually it made its way into the rivers, and so the rivers took on a milky like appearance. So, after that, the the kind of the worship for the sacred bull changed to the worship for the sacred cow, just because you know milk and cows are more related uh than milk and bulls. Um but it did the bull did start off as the sacred animal for Athena and I imagine it probably stayed that way. But then there was also the sacred cow. Um, so then uh and then the kind of concluding the section on Venus, um Emmanuel does then kind of summarize everything and saying that um, you know, in his uh, conclusion that comet Typhoon uh, was really Venus, and that it was Venus who was responsible for the catastrophe during the book of Exodus and Book of Joshua. Um, he did wonder how Jupiter fits all in or fits all into this, and because you know Jupiter is part of that mythology, at least on the Greek side, with the battle between him and typhoon. And then they were also saying that Jupiter, back in the day, did cause problems for other planets. Um, and oftentimes Jupiter and the comet Venus were mistaken for each other because they were both so bright. And when they were close to close to each other, they would often be um, mislabeled as one or the other. And, and at that time, you know, if, if Venus did spring out of Jupiter's out of the planet Jupiter, it would look like Jupiter was responsible for, or was involved in some of the stuff going on with the Exodus, so maybe that's how he got associated with the mythology, especially on the Greek side. Sorry, I shouldn't say the Exodus, I should say the Greek myth, myth of Zeus fighting Typhoon, because Zeus wasn't really mentioned in the book of Exodus, because it's two separate cultures, but um, that's just how he, that's kind of his theory as to how where Zeus kind of fits into that Greek myth, uh, and and that typhoon was actually Venus. Um. And then what's kind of interesting is that the es- Assyrians and the Babylonians named, um, the name Ishtar was at first associated with Jupiter, and then after um the events of the exodus ishtar then became associated with venus so i mean there is an association with them. i mean v- venus is the daughter of jupiter so it's just interesting how like the legends and the myths kind of also reflect what happened in the in the astronomy um between v- venus and jupiter uh and then he just kind of concludes to, continues to conclude the section on Venus by just talking about how there are uh, I don't know if there still are well maybe there are but there at that time there are a lot of festivals devoted to Venus and they're often held in the spring like around now. Um, and in Babylonia, Venus was worshipped as part of a trinity, which was Venus, Moon, and Sun, and it was their holy trinity in the 14th 14th, uh, century before the present era. And then on Cyprus, the goddess uh, Kypris Kypris Queen, I hope I said that right, was the one who people tried to appease with such gifts, um, such as pouring yellow honey on the ground. And that yellow honey makes me think of the ambrosia. And then um, the Babylonia Venus is also associated with the six-pointed star uh, and it's also associated with the the five pointed star which is also called a pentagram uh, so I just thought that it was that was also pretty neat how uh, different cultures and different uh, spiritual traditions have uh, I don't know if they continue to show Venus the same reverence in mo- modern times but in history especially after all those world c- catastrophes people really revered the planet Venus all over the world and they had their own myths and legends that referred to this planet and referred to the world catastrophes that uh, Venus was responsible for and um and then you know of course the interesting about the how the sacred bull and the sacred cow are associated with Venus and um you know, especially like, and I think this does still the case, especially in India with the uh, Hindu religion, where the sacred, where cows are very sacred, uh, and I think that kind of comes from that tradition, comes out of the, um, the tradition or the association with Venus as well. So that that was pretty interesting, and you know, overall, I thought this the chapter on Venus was. Really well done, and I enjoyed reading how, um, you know, the stories and the both in the Bible as well as from around the world, uh, have all these really cool legends that relate to Venus and relate to the world catastrophes that Venus caused at that time. And so that concludes the chat, the section on Venus, and then for next week, I am going to be, you know, diving into mars and how mars and venus came into a conflict and what's really interesting is that uh, emmanuel velikovsky uses homer's uh, iliad and odyssey to um uh, to draw evidence for this the collision and also to how mars really didn't become a feared god until around the 8th uh, century which is when uh the whole thing with mars and venus went down like that's kind of the time frame he thinks that it happened and so it's really interesting how all these myths and legends like correspond to these uh, celestial events so i wonder what else what other celestial events happened throughout history that these myths and legends are also associated with um so anyway i hope you all enjoyed the show And thank you all for stopping by the cafe. I hope everyone enjoys the rest of the week and has a heartfelt week and weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.